Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would and credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, You can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Increase of Our Reality, I'd really appreciate it if you could drop a review or a rating and I'll give you a shout out on the show. While you're at it, come join the Telegram group and follow the show on Instagram and across social media. If you'd like to support the show, check me out over on Patreon for early access to Inquiries of Our Reality and Big Dumb Inquiries, which is the Swapcast show I co-host with Kyle Rainey of the Big Dumb Podcast. If you'd like to pick up some merch, come check out the merch store. If you want to help me out to upgrade my equipment and pump out even more awesome content for you guys, come donate over on Anchor or Kofi. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered, or you feel you have something to contribute to the show, send me an email at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the Linktree link to be directed. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you, and I couldn't be doing this without you. Now enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything. Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the now 34th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today I have with me... Mike Ricksecker. He is an author, a researcher, and a filmmaker. How's it going today, man? Oh, it's going pretty well, Shane. How are you doing today? Good. I'm glad to have you on the show. I've been talking yeah, to you yeah. for a little while, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I guess a good point to get started is, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about what you do? Yeah, well, you know, primarily I'm, I'm an author. I've been writing ever since I was about seven years old. But, uh, you know, this line of research has been something that... Um, has been a part of me for about 30 years in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I'm also a filmmaker. My uh, docu-series, The Shadow Dimension, has been out for a little over a year now. It's running on 2B TV, in, in the middle of producing the second season. And then on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel, I also have a good 700 videos out there uh, covering a wide range of different supernatural and esoteric topics. 
Uh, so I guess starting from the very beginning, what started to get you into researching these topics? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm an experiencer. Uh, had a number of things happen to me when, when I was young. Um, when I was, the first significant thing really was when I was about eight years old, woke up in the middle of the night and there's this tall, dark shadow standing in the corner of my bedroom. Of course, I had no idea about you know, shadow people, shadow entities, that sort of thing back at that age. I just thought there was an intruder in the house and you know, somebody who broke in was about to kill me. You know, it's about what you think at that age. Fortunately, I'm still alive to tell the tale, which is great, uh, but it didn't get physical with me. So it approached my bed, uh, leaned over. I'm staring at this blank black face, trying to scream. Nothing's coming out of my mouth because I'm just too terrified. And it grabbed me by the wrists crossed my arms across my body, and then ran off down the hall, and of all places, into a closet. By that point, I found my voice, found my, found my legs, ran off to my parents' bedroom, screaming about what had happened. And you know, they're trying to calm me down, console me, trying to tell me I just had a bad dream. But I knew I hadn't had a bad dream. I'd been awake for this whole thing. So that was the first significant experience. I uh, had, some, had some others at a house that we moved into about five years after that. But um, the moment that I knew that this was going to be something that I was going to be involved with for the rest of my life, I was about 15 years old. My friend David and I were at our friend Lori's house. It's an older, older house downtown Worcester, Ohio. It's uh, in the historic area. And, you know, we're just teenagers, you know, kind of shooting the breeze, talking teen drama, that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, Lori says, I think my house is haunted. David and I were like, oh, this is cool. Okay, uh, let's talk about this. So she's telling us some stories about strange things that happen in the house. And there's an old family cemetery out in the backyard, things like this. But her main concern is in her bedroom where she has this one wall in her room in which you know, she'd tack things up on the wall, but couldn't keep anything stuck. It, you know, They would always fall down, whether it was a day, a week, a month later, these things would always fall down off of her wall. And so, all right, we're going to go up and investigate the haunted wall. Had no idea this was actually kind of considered a little small paranormal investigation. We're just going to go check it out. So David and I go upstairs. We get into the bedroom. Lori's telling us some more stories about things that happen in the house and in her room. And I didn't know that David was a very sensitive guy at that time. Uh, but he put his hand flat to the wall. And all of a sudden, he turned this bright, bright red and started sweating profusely. I'm looking at my friend like, oh my gosh, what, what is going on with David? I had never seen anything like this before. So he starts going like wall to wall in the house, trying to find any other like kind of quote unquote hot spots. And my mind was completely blown. That was the moment that I knew that I was fascinated by this type of phenomenon. I was going to be involved some way, shape or form for the rest of my life. So uh, jumping forward a little bit more, what have you found as far as the shadow people that makes them seem like they're a more tangible thing within our reality? Yeah, good question. Uh, I've done a lot of research on this phenomenon over the years. I've had a lot of experiences with shadow entities. Um, you know, the, that house that we moved into in Ohio, there was a uh, recurring one that showed up for about three or four months there. Uh, witnessed many on, on different paranormal investigations. They, they're a lot of different things. And some of them are human spirits that can't fully manifest as apparitions. Some may be interdimensional beings. Some may be time slips, astral projections. Uh, a lot of different things are extraterrestrials that they could possibly be. And people routinely uh, witness this, this type of phenomenon. Um, you know, it's not just me. 
<laughs> uh, and, and also, you know, people have been witnessing this throughout all of history as well. So we, we find shadow people stories, you know, back with, you know, ancient Sumerians and ancient Egyptians. It's, you know, this is a legitimate phenomenon. So uh, jumping forward a little bit more onto the other side of your research, uh, what other things on the paranormal side besides shadow people have you also experienced in your lifetime? Well, you know, I've had a lot of a lot of different experiences. Uh, you know, one of my more recent books, I mean, when we talk shadow entities, it's my book, A Walk in the Shadows. Uh, the other one, the Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, um, that's uh, another area of research that that I've been looking into is, is strange and bizarre activity in, in some of these more uh, highly magnetic areas of the world. So uh, when it comes to uh, anything that like the ancients may have been able to tap into for, you know, like um, the earth energy. So, you know, ancient stone circles, the pyramids, uh, these sorts of things are, are definitely an interest of mine. And we're going back to Egypt on a tour next February. So invite everybody to come, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, from your research, do you feel that a lot of the different things that people would consider extraterrestrial, paranormal, um, are all interconnected within the same type of universe? Oh, everything's connected. I fact, I, I have a website called the Connected Universe Portal, which it's an online learning platform that dives into a lot of these different types of topics. And yeah, all, all this phenomena, everything about our universe is connected all the way down to the, the atomic level. Uh, but when it comes to this phenomenon and something that we kind of see more surface level, you know, a lot of the, especially when it comes to like ET and shadow experiences, we see a lot of crossover where, um, and it's not every case, but many cases, which people wake up in the middle of the night. Some, sometimes people experience sleep paralysis. And some of the cases you see, they say there was an extraterrestrial there. In other cases you see, they are talking about seeing a shadow person, but a lot of what they're actually experiencing them in the moment is very similar. Do you believe that they may just be different perceptions of possibly the same thing where people try to rationalize it in their mind and they just see it in different ways? Well, like I said, you know, some of these shadow entities that we're, we're seeing are actually extraterrestrials. Um, you know, it could just be that, you know, they see the form and, and, that's, and that's it. You know, it could be an extraterrestrial in the corner and it's, you know, a dark room. And so all they see is a, is a black form. Uh, some of these extraterrestrials may be using some sort of cloaking device and thinking that they're actually completely cloaked when in fact we can actually partially see them and, you know, extraterrestrials, some, something from another uh, planet or you know place in this universe not fully understanding our physiology you know in in the way that our eyes take in light you know, maybe that's what we're seeing or you know you hear sometimes of like a shimmer man sort of thing uh so so yeah maybe one of the same thing that that we're seeing and you know there's a uh, magnificent story uh, about albert k bender uh, he founded the international flying saucer bureau back in 1952 and, you know, this thing blew up big international within uh, the first year. But all of a sudden, he just, you know, decided he was done with it. Just, boom, I'm done. And people wondered why. You know, there wasn't really a, a good excuse that was given until uh, people suspected some different things. But uh, in the early 1960s, he published a book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, where he explained that uh, one night he came home, went up into his bedroom, and through the wall in his bedroom materialized these three shadowy, dark, hat-wearing entities with glowing eyes and smelling of sulfur. Now, 
I read the story and I'm thinking, well, this is one of these like cat wearing shadow entity experiences. This is something paranormal. Bender said, well, these were actually extraterrestrials and they had warned him off of his UFO research and they were there on the, uh, on the planet harvesting resources in Antarctica uh, for a period of 15 years and wanted him to stop his research in that matter. Other people hear the story and they relate it to the men in black phenomenon. So, you know, are we really talking about different things here or all the same thing? So for people that aren't familiar with the Alaskan Triangle, uh, what's a good description of what that is exactly? <laughs> well, um, you could say it's the uh, you know, Bermuda Triangle, but in Alaska, in fact, people at times have called it Alaska's Bermuda Triangle. These triangle areas are, are all over the world. Japan has the uh, Dragon Triangle. We see Bridgewater Triangle, Massachusetts, Lake Michigan Triangle. But a similar type of phenomena where uh, we have missing people, missing airplanes, ghost ships, these sorts of things. Uh, more significant amounts of uh, UFO sightings, a lot of different cryptid encounters, uh, enhanced paranormal activity. So very, very bizarre area of the world. In Alaska, since 1988, you've had 16,000 people go missing. And that's a significant chunk of people, especially considering how sparsely populated Alaska is. But this is the type of phenomenon that we see in these triangle areas. So uh, going into your Egyptian research, is there a reason why you specifically started going after uh, research in Egypt? Is it because of the whole concept of like stargates uh, connecting with also your research with the Alaskan Triangle? Uh, that's part of it. Uh, it's something that I've always been uh, interested in. In 1993, uh, when the uh, documentary with uh, Robert Schock and John Anthony West came out, they had Charlton Heston as the, the narrator. I think it was Mysteries of the Sphinx, or it was titled something to like that, basically where they were redating the age of the Sphinx. I was absolutely fascinated by that. And it was around the same time that the movie Stargate came out as well. So, you know, that kind of catapulted me down uh, that line of research. I was extremely intrigued. And um, yeah, having, having been to Egypt and been to many of these uh, amazing locations, you see the word Stargate all over the place and the way that some of these different... Uh, temples are configured, you can see how they would have uh, utilized the uh, power of the earth to, to power these different stargates. And, uh, you know, there's ideas of a black pyramid uh, being in Alaska. Right now, it's just anecdotal. We don't have an actual physical form to, to point at because it's supposed to be buried in the earth. But some of the stories that come out of there, out of Alaska, uh, about this pyramid, um, you know, about you know, harnessing power and powering all you know, Alaska back in ancient times, as well as part of Canada, are really fascinating since we see this type of story all over the world. So um, going into a little bit more of your paranormal research, uh, what are some different stories that you've heard that sparked your interest that made it so that you wanted to come and research these specific areas? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's been one of those things cases where it's really my experiences that, that catapulted me into all of this. So I had those personal experiences when I was younger. In Alaska, um, yeah, I spent three years there when I was in the Air Force, 1992, 1995. Uh, had some experiences there as well. Uh, and kind of one of the reasons why I ended up on the show, uh, the Alaska Triangle, um, you know, they were, they were actually reaching out to me about um, a video that I had done on portals, vortices, ley lines, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of a happy coincidence that their show 
uh, was about Alaska. And once we started talking, hey, I actually lived there for three years. Um, it was just really a perfect fit. And um, yeah, kind of drawing the correlations and finding, you know, when you do research, what you do is you look for connections. Now, I'm not one of those people that, you know, a geologist, and so that's my niche, and that's what I'm looking at. Um, I'm not an archaeologist. I, I'm not a. I'm not a physicist, but I'm actually a, a computer programmer. <laughs> but um, yeah, at least by trade, that's what I. That's what I was in the Air Force for. Uh, but I'm a writer. You know, that's I'm a writer and researcher and filmmaker. And so uh, as I do that research, kind of being outside the box, I'm looking for connections in all of those different fields. So I've learned a lot about all of these different areas of. of science and history. And um, I'm able to see these connections. And that's what's fascinating. Uh, you know, again, talking about the connected universe. Mm-hmm. And when you step back and take a look, you can really see the connections. So going off the, the whole concept of the universe being connected, uh, what are some places that you would like to see? And why are the what's the reason behind you wanting to go and be able to research these areas? Oh, you know, I haven't yet been to Teotihuacan. Uh, that would be an amazing place to uh, to go visit uh, really any of these pyramidal structures around the world. I would love to investigate more of, um, I just happen to be going back to Egypt again next year. <laughs> um, but there's more to do there uh, for sure. I'm going to Ireland uh, this summer. That's a uh, location I've not yet been. Uh, and they have many of these, I'm going to go see a lot of uh, ancient castles and what have you, but they have a lot of stone circles and actually uh, connections between uh, Ireland and Egypt, the people don't really realize is there, but, um, you know, they've, they have found like ancient Egyptian bees and things like this, uh, in Ireland, which is absolutely fascinating. You know, also going to locations like, uh, uh, like Stonehenge and, and some of these other, you know, ancient megalithic sites like this, uh, would just be truly fascinating. So do you think that, uh, Stonehenge may be another possibility of a portal? Cause that's kind of the concept that I usually <laughs> tend to pick up from Stonehenge. Well, there's the story from the 1970s about the hippies that disappeared into a portal. I don't know if you've heard that story. I'm not where, familiar, uh, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was back during a time where you could just walk up to, to Stonehenge. Um, you know, there was no security or anything. I mean, now it's like you can barely even get up there. Um, uh, in a lot of cases, you have to stand back and kind of just look at it. But you used to be able to just walk right into the stones. And they were camping there one night. Uh, it was like 71, 72, something like that. And... Um, there was a uh, police officer who was actually walking by or may have been driving by, I can't remember which, but in any case, he saw a blue light flash from the middle of the stones in these, they called them the hippies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they disappeared. They never to be seen again. Um, yeah. I, I do think locations like that uh, have been used for portal activity. I, I believe, you know, they, they specifically picked those locations because they were energetic nodes on the globe, you have those telluric currents running through the Earth, and when you have um, when you have them cross like that, they're called con- uh, discon- or conductivity discontinuities, which is just kind of a fancy way of saying it's a very energetic hotspot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and, and, you ha- and they and they knew this of, of these locations, so they would put their standing stones, which um, you know would have the quartz embedded in it, you know, depending on like granites, you know, made of 55% uh, quartz limestone has, uh, you know, uh, has heavy quartz content as well. And so that would help power these different uh, 
locations for different purposes, whether it's entering altered states of consciousness, um, healing purposes, or opening portals and stargates. And, you know, they have a palpable energy today that could be measured. So imagine back in the day when these things were fully constructed, how powerful that energy would be. Do you think that a lot of these locations, a lot is actually known about them, but it's hidden from the general public? Well, we have that too. <laughs> you know, there's a certain narrative that, uh, that our historians and archaeologists uh, you know, are, are trying to maintain because this is what's been sold to the public for so long. This is what our, our textbooks are telling us. Um, and, and they don't want to change uh, because that's, that's what their careers have been built off of. Um, you know, that's, that's where they're selling their books. Now to me, I'm like, well, you could, you could sell a new book, you know, the updated version. <laughs> um, but they've built an entire career off of teaching, uh, you know, this line of thought and, you know, they, they get, you know, 35, 40 years into a career and you're asking them to change. No, they don't, don't they don't want to do that. Um, that, and there's certain aspects that, that want to be hidden that, um, that are kept from us. There's a, there are a lot of these different um, you know, artifacts that are believed to have significant powers, either um, you know, like a physical power that can be wielded or some sort of traveling interdimensional power or you know, longevity, long life. And a lot of these artifacts have been, have been confiscated. You, you look at some of our you know, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, you, know, they, you see the, the rods all the time in the hieroglyphs, but yet we still have not found the rods that are always depicted. What were they used for? Because you see them used many times for things like levitation, okay? So who has those rods? Where are they at now? Um, so it's, it's really disheartening when, uh, when we're only getting pieces of the true story. Yeah, and I like, I've always mentioned it on my show too, it seems like it's not as much a government thing as it is just people not wanting to discredit their legacy, of course, like right. you were saying, when they spend 40 years researching something and then a new piece of evidence comes out and they don't want to be discredited for all the work that they have put into it. Oh yeah, absolutely. You look at the uh, you look at the Sphinx and how you know they're supposed to be hidden chambers under there. Shock and West do some um, do some tests there, and they're finding yes, there's a cavity you know underneath the Sphinx, uh, which had been rumored for years. You know, I mean, sure, there is Edgar Casey who uh, predicted there being a uh, uh, a chamber there, but you look back at um, you know newspaper articles out of the late 1800s and George Reisinger, who uh, did a lot of research there. And he, you know, found, uh, you know, tunnels and chambers in and under the Sphinx. And you could find uh, those artistic uh, depictions, you know, from 100, what, 140 years ago now. Um, and those were just kind of, you know, brush aside, brush aside. So Shaka West find this. And they're immediately stopped. You can't do any more. And we're not going to talk about this now. We're not going to say that there are chambers uh, under the Sphinx. But yet then you have uh, photographs of Zahi Hawass coming up out from under the Sphinx uh, with a big old smile on his face. And Zahi Hawass has done a lot of uh, you know, great research, but he's, he's toting the line. You know, he's keeping the, the narrative, but um, I, I know behind the scenes he knows better. So uh, what types of things do you think might be hidden underneath the Sphinx that they're trying to keep a secret? Oh, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, there being, you know, part of the uh, like Great Library of Alexandria or at least materials that would have been in the Great Library. Um, you know, this treasure trove of information, and that may be true. You know, um, 
what, what was lost in Alexandria may have had copies of what's there under the Sphinx. Um, some of those older artistic designs show a temple uh, that's under there. So there could be things like that under there as well. There's probably going to be some water because <laughs> you know <laughs> nearby nearby when you go down like the Osirion shop, there's a bunch of water at the bottom there. So this, that might be the case too there. Cross your fingers that if there is a hall of records, it's not destroyed by water. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, going into a little bit more of uh, the interdimensional topic as far as paranormal goes, uh, for people that aren't familiar with that and they believe that ghosts are just full apparitions of people that were here from the past, uh, how would you describe the interdimensional connection into the paranormal and shadow people and all of these different topics? Well, I mean, an interdimensional being just means something that um, you know is, is not originally from our plane of existence. So, um, you know, kind of going through the levels of of what dimensions are. You know, you have the uh, first dimension is just a line. Uh, second dimension is a plane, like a flat piece of paper. Uh, third dimension is you know like a three D object, and uh, the fourth dimension, which is where we reside, is time, uh, which is really just a human construct to describe our reality, keep track of seasons, that sort of thing. Uh, and everything that you um, are able to see and conceptualize are each of those dimensions below you, above you, um, which our, uh, our theoretical sciences uh, have shown that there are up to 11 dimensions, um, we can't perceive. You know, it's like, you know, try to take that, uh, or actually Michio Kaku has a, a great analogy about a, uh, you know, a, a fish in a pond, you know, its whole reality, so that's the uh, 2D, uh, its whole reality is in that pond. It has no idea about the world beyond and that there's a whole other, you know, planet that exists out there, which is kind of our situation here in our dimension that we're living in. So there's a whole other world out there above us, whatever that fifth dimension is, and you know, we've seen it depicted in, in science fiction. Like you look at the movie Interstellar and they have, um, toward the end of the movie, they put Matthew McConaughey in a, uh, in a tesseract. So he's able to see every single moment in time of a location. And he's trying to find you know, the, the right time uh, to, to look at. And so that is one concept of what the fifth dimension would look like is being able to see every moment in time. Um, which isn't a which isn't a bad idea. I, I think we it, it would almost be like a um, an elevator, like to be able to choose a specific moment in time, and that kind of is uh, based off of my I call it stack time theory. Every moment that has happened is happening and will happen. Um, we're all kind of stacked on top of each other, like a like a deck of photographs, and you just um, you, you pick the two. Or um, there are moments in which two of those, we'll just say, photographs are resonating at the same frequency. And they're able to get a glimpse of each other. And this is where we have time slips or, you know, maybe you see something that looks like an apparition or a, or a ghost, but they turn and look at you as if you are the ghost. So it's not really seeing a ghost. It's actually a bleeding over of time or a time slip. That's actually an idea that I've always liked to entertain as far as uh, paranormal type experiences go. Um, because I myself have had some experiences and I definitely have noticed something where it's like they'll notice you and then they'll take off really fast, almost like looking through a window is a good, a good way to describe it where you're seeing a glimpse into each other's time. I, just like you were kind of describing too. Absolutely. And there's a fascinating story that, um, that well, several fascinating stories uh, and it, it they tend to almost be like doppelganger type stories. Like people are, you know, seeing themselves, but it's really at another point in time. So they, you know, they go down the whole evil twin route, but it's more like, Oh, this is, 
This is actually more of a time slip. And there's a fascinating one that was related to me several months ago where um, it was a young man. And when he was a, when he was a child, he had walked into the kitchen and over by the kitchen table, he saw this tall, dark hooded figure and it scared him to death. And boom, he ran out of the room. Well, years later, he's in the kitchen and he's at the kitchen table making a sandwich. He's wearing a hoodie, turns and looks over by the kitchen doorway. And there is this small shadow figure about the size of a child that boom, then takes off. And he, it just hits him right there. Oh my gosh. I saw myself in both of those times when, when he was a child, it wasn't, you know, what we would call a shadow person. It was really himself wearing the hoodie. It just came off as this dark shadowy figure and vice versa. When he was older, wearing the hoodie, making a sandwich, he was just seeing himself as a child in that moment. So it was some sort of time slip, but could only resonate as far as looking like a shadow. So for somebody that's not familiar with the different uh, descriptions of different types of shadow beings and apparitions, uh, what's a good description of what you would define as a shadow person, a apparition, and possibly, well, I guess you've already kind of explained the time slips, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, with, with shadow beings, we have a lot of different, uh, we have a lot of different types. Uh, you have the humanoid figure, which just looks like a person, head, shoulders, torso, that whole thing. Um, kind of solid in nature, looks like a person, but just is a shadow. Uh, you have the hat-wearing entities, which are similar, but wearing different style hats. Uh, we have the hooded figures, which are just kind of uh, described there, but um, you know, they could be, I like I you know, uh, have a story in, in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, about one that was probably a monk. <laughs> um, then you have things that we call like the crawlers, and these are... Um, you know, kind of gangly creatures, you know, crawling along on the floors, walls, ceilings, that sort of thing. Uh, very fast in nature. Uh, you have mists and wisps. So the wisp would be something that's like more translucent in nature, very fast. You might get like the outline of a, of a figure, but it's really, really fast and it's very, very translucent. Uh, the mists would be like more of a amorphous, cloudy, vaporous form. Uh, but I guess best way to describe that would be like a black cloud. Um, so there's a lot of different types of forms these things can take. Uh, with the apparitions, um, you know, sometimes you might get one that's fully formed. You know, these things tend to look more white in nature. So you might get it fully formed. You might just get pieces. So like, you know, maybe fully formed at the head and it kind of starts to dissipate away at the body. Uh, you might just get an arm or a leg or something like that. So from all your different things that you've researched, uh, what has been your personal favorite that you've experienced or researched? Um, yeah, a lot of interesting things over the years. Um, you know, as far as like a, a favorite moment, I guess, uh, would be you know, really when I got that confirmation that yes, some of these shadow entities uh, are human spirits. Because uh, that was actually, it was in the beginning of my books, I always put a caveat in there. I always reserve the right to change my mind. What I, what I write in this book, as I continue to research, uh, may change over time, which is kind of, you know, different than what we were talking about earlier, where you have those, you know, more, I guess, scholarly people <laughs> that are just going to stick to stick to their guns, even if they're proven wrong time and time again. Um, I'm open to, to change. Say it's and a so, sign of intelligence, of course, to be able to change your mind with more information. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. I'd like to think so. Um, 
but yeah, years and years ago, I used to, uh, I used to think, okay, shadow, shadow people are shadow people. They're their own thing. And uh, human spirits are, are human spirits. They are, they're not one and the same, but I had so many people over the years telling me different stories that, um, you know, that they had witnessed a shadow, but, you know, they thought it was some relative or a person or, you know, somebody from history at, at that particular location that, you know, I started giving it some credence. Uh, my, my good friend, Rob Gutrow, uh, who's a psychic medium, does a lot of work with, um, with pet communications uh, from the afterlife. Um, he had a you know, fascinating story about his aunt uh, that, that came to visit him after she had passed so that uh, he could deliver a message for her from, uh, to his mother. And it's like, well, I, you know, I, I trust Rob with my life. So it's like, all right, fine. I give in. <laughs> I'm giving it some credence now. I've heard enough stories that there's got to be something to this. But a few years back, um, we were doing a paranormal investigation at the Mineral Springs Hotel, Alton, Illinois. Fantastic location. Um, and this was at the end of an event that we'd put together. And we're up in the old abandoned part of the hotel, uh, doing some EVP work in a, a corner suite. And all of a sudden, we start hearing some noises from down the hall. So I go out there, take a look down the hall. And there's actually two halls there um, to the left and then uh, to the, well, straight ahead. It's kind of, make, kind of makes like an L. And looking down the one hallway, and all of a sudden at the end, you see this black smoke. You know, we were talking about the, uh, the mists earlier, that mm -hmm. black amorphous cloud. That's what I'm seeing at the end of the hall. It's like rolling black smoke, and it's coming forward, and it's coming forward. And it's doing something very unusual as it's coming closer. It starts creeping up the wall on the right-hand side of the hall. They creep back down and creep back up. All the while, it's coming closer and closer. And finally, at one point, when it creeps up that wall on the right-hand side, it actually morphed into the apparition of a little girl. And so there's five of us that see her and we're you know, coaxing her, come closer, come closer. She actually stopped at this, uh, this one particular doorway, which there had been stories of that room uh, where that door was at, where there was the spirit of a little girl. And I'd investigated in there before and never had any real interaction with a, with a girl spirit, but here she was stopping at that doorway to that room. And what's interesting is we all saw her a little bit differently. So I, I saw her fully formed from her head down to about her knees. And then she started to dissipate away. Other people saw her fully formed at the feet and then on upwards, you know, she started to dissipate at the head. So that was really interesting. Uh, so that really, for one sealed for me, okay, yes, some of these, <laughs> some of these shadow entities are, uh, are certainly human spirits. And then it got me thinking about, okay, why did we all see her a little differently? Uh, from your research, have you found a reason why you think you possibly saw her differently? Yeah, it has to do with uh, personal uh, resonance, uh, vibration, energy, that sort of thing. Uh, we all, human body has a certain range in which uh, it resonates at as far as frequency. Uh, but each of us are a little bit different. Well, you also have this, uh, you know, this entity, this being that uh, also has their own personal energy resonance vibration, and they're resonating at a certain frequency. So I think it all has to do with, you know, becoming in tune uh, with these with these different energies. And so, because we're all vibrating a little bit of a different frequency, and so uh, so was she. We all saw her a little bit differently. That's why sometimes you can be on a paranormal investigation, be standing right next to somebody, and you see something the other person doesn't because they're not on the same frequency. Uh, is there a way that somebody could tune their frequency to possibly be able to see these things? Or is it something that you're just naturally born with? Oh, uh, that's a good question. So, I mean, we're all, we're all, um, I mean, we're all 
born to, uh, and we're all born as spiritual beings. So we all have this ability to, to one degree or another. Some people, unfortunately, are kind of stuck right in the middle. and <laughs> It's really hard um, for them to become in tune. And I always say, it's just the, the more you put yourself in front of these things, you'll start to see more. So with me, um, I see more apparitions, or I'm sorry, I see more shadows than apparitions. Other people see more apparitions than the shadows. And the question becomes, you know, why? And I think that's because uh, at an early age, I saw more of the shadows. You know, I, I had that really significant experience when I was eight years old. Again, there were um, uh, the house I moved into when I was 13, uh, about three, four months there, kept seeing shadow activity. So I think my own personal frequency became in tune to those shadow beings that were there so that when I would enter into a, a haunted location or a location that had some shadow activity going on, it was a lot easier for my body to be able to pick up on that and for me to be able to see and witness. Do you think it has something to do with uh, your eyes themselves, possibly, considering that people can only see such a small percentage of the light spectrum? Um, I mean, there's the eyes do play a part in it. So, um, you know, you hear about people seeing a shadow out of the periphery and they turn and look and it's gone. Um, no, that's something that we call averted, uh, averted vision. Our eyes are made up of, of rods and cones and more toward the, the center where the optic nerve is um, are the cones. And that takes, in, that's really like the high definition uh, camera. Uh, but the, uh, the rods on the sides are what take in the light. And because it's taking in more light uh, and the rods are situated more around the, the sides of the eyes. Um, and because that's where it's taking in more light um, that's where you know, we're seeing the shadows when we turn and look at God. The stargazers use this technique um, out in you know, dark sky conditions so they can see things like comets and stars and things like that better. They, they've learned to kind of look out the side of their eyes to be able to observe these things with the naked eye better. And so that's what's happening with some of these shadows when we see them out of the corner of our eyes. We turn and look, it seems like it's gone. It's not really gone. It's just a different part of our eye that we're viewing it with. So uh, from your experience with having different people uh, work with you, of course, too. Have you noticed any kind of difference between male and females as far as what they can and can't see? I would just say in general, uh, women tend to be more sensitive to these types of things. Um, many men are too, but uh, it, it seems like women are a lot more in tune with the, uh, with the spiritual world. And um, I, I um, without being sexist, I can't really <laughs> give you a good reason as to why. Um, but, but it does seem like the, uh, the women are, are definitely more in tune to these things. Say so speaking from personal experience, of course, too, um, I've definitely been one that's seen more of these shadow beings, but there's been a few specific instances where I was at, uh, I guess, locations that you can consider paranormal locations. And I was with my significant other and it seemed like she definitely saw more things that were full apparitions versus me kind of seeing shadows. So I feel like there's yeah, definitely a connection between like male and female being able to see different things because of the way our eyes are, are made. Yeah. And it, and it could just be that, you know, her, her personal um, energy is more in tune to the apparitions. Um, you know, so she's able to see the, the apparitions, you know, better and you're able to see the, the shadows better. I and mean, that's just kind of, that's the way I'm wired too, is where I see more. It doesn't mean that I can't ever see an apparition. It's just, my, my body, when that, when that resonance is in the room, it's able to pick up on it a lot better than say the apparition. So uh, one topic that I definitely like to touch on because it's been so diluted out from the movie series about it. Um, 
from your research, how would you describe what happened at the Conjuring House? Well, uh, I'm very good friends with the Perrin family, for one. Uh, and about 5% of what was shown in the movie was true, which means 95% you could just throw out. <laughs> that's Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that's Hollywood for you, unfortunately. Um, I mean, what actually happened at that uh, farmhouse lasted over a 10-year period of time. Um, it, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I just, uh, Andrea and I just had a, a speaking engagement together uh, where we spoke together on um, the interdimensional universe. And so we talked about some of the stories from the house, but um, I mean, you had things going on. I mean, the Hollywood makes it all, you know, demon, Bathsheba, all that stuff. Um, and really it's just a significant energy that's at that house that caused a lot of different things to happen, several different apparitions. Um, there are time slips that have happened. There has been UFO activity there. It's just, um, you know, and I think it's all, uh, centralized around the the well that's in that house. There's a uh, in the at the bottom of the house. There's the well room, which still to this day has an open well. It's filled with water. The walls of that room are made of limestone and they're capped with granite. So this is like a construction of all of our ancient megalithic sites, pyramids, temples, all that stuff. Um, and so it is harnessing that energy that's there in the ground. The, the, the land itself has a lot of energy to begin with. And so it's harnessing it within this well room. And it's like straight up from that uh, room where in the parlor, that's where Carolyn and Andrea witnessed, um, you know, the time slip, these people from the 1700s that looked at them, like they were the ghosts, like we were talking about earlier. Straight up from that is, uh, is Andrea's room where they witnessed rolling black smoke and had a lot of different paranormal uh, experiences. The one thing that is true um, one of the few things that's true from the, the, uh, movie was, you know, there was a, uh, creepy old hag type of a woman that did float over the top of, of, uh, Carolyn, uh, in the bedroom. So that did happen. Um, it as Bathsheba, no, <laughs> but, um, but that did happen. And that was, you know, you know, in that vicinity as well. So the well room, do you think that it was purposely built like that? Or you think it was accidentally built like that and then just happened to collect everything? I, I think it was accidentally built like that. I don't think they purposely were trying to um, conjure anything up or, or anything like that. And, you know, it was a farmhouse. Um, you had these people that were trying to you know, live in a new land. It dates back to the, to the 1600s. And, um, you know, they had, a, they had a new farm that they were trying to, to put together. They were just, it was just to live. And that happened to be the materials they constructed of, and you had these things happen. So if somebody wanted to do a little bit more research as far as The Conjuring House goes, do you have any recommendations as far as documentaries or books that people could read? Well, there's the Shadow Dimension docuseries, uh, which is my personal docuseries. The, the uh, first four episodes um, dive into what's going on there at The Conjuring House, specifically episodes uh, three and four, where we are actually there. Um, there's, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything, well, you could, uh, read Andrea Perrin's house of house of darkness, house of light book trilogy. Um, that is the, that's all the stories from those 10 years, uh, within those three books. So, uh, definitely recommend that as well. Um, I know that you mentioned in your book that you don't typically get scared of a lot of things when you're doing paranormal research, but as far as something that would scare a normal person, uh, not, referring to your childhood story, but more so recent years, uh, what would be that story for you? 
Um, yeah, so it, and it wasn't on a paranormal investigation, but there was a uh, there was a moment there uh, some years ago now where uh, it was in Salisbury, Maryland, out on the outskirts of town. Um, I think it was kind of closer to the airport. <laughs> and uh, I was trying to talk a, uh, a friend of mine off the ledge. Uh, she was having some issues. She had gone back to her childhood home, which was now an abandoned house. Um, and it parked her SUV back behind the house. So I drove down there, parked in the driveway. It's late at night, it's dark. Uh, walked back to her SUV. And you know, there are these woods that were back behind that house, which made everything even darker back there. Um, so you know, we're, we're sitting in her car and kind of talking back and forth. And all of a sudden through the side mirror, I see these uh, short shadow beings start to gather up around the, the trees, like around the tree trunks. And more of them and more of them start to gather. And she notices that I noticed something. I kind of tell her what I had seen. She was involved with the paranormal as well. Like, okay. But then one of them approached the back of the SUV. And I'm like, yeah, we should probably go, you know, cause it was, we weren't, we weren't there for, for that. We weren't there for anything paranormal. It was getting dark. It was getting heavy. Um, you know, you, you had a lot of these things back there. So it's like, this is, this is not a good situation. Uh, this is not what we came here for. Um, so I said, okay, let's get out of here, pick up the conversation elsewhere. She agreed to that, which was good. And so I got out of the SUV. I didn't see the shadow that had crept up to the car. Back in the woods, I could still see the shadow people that were lined up amongst the trees. I walked back to my car, and as I'm walking back to my car, I look back at the woods again, and up in the treetops was this white, silky, I, I call it like a living spiderweb, because it was just kind of slinking through the trees, and it was bizarre. So you had the shadows in this, and it's like, yep, let's get out of here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and we met up elsewhere. Uh, do you think there's any specific reason why that would have happened? Could it have been that there was negative emotion happening? Or do you think that it was more so that there was something involved with that area that you were in? Um, yeah, that's a good question. That's, I, it's a lot, that's what a lot of people kind of suggest is that you know, maybe these things had sensed what was going on back there. They could, they could feel the emotion. They could feel the energy back there. I mean, they could have just been curious in, in nature. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they were ready to pounce on us or, or anything. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, cause you know, that shadow that approached the, the car, I mean, it didn't do anything. It, I mean, it could have been one of those, you know, here's this, you know, gang of whatever beans and one of them sent out, Hey, you, you know, go check out what's going on up there. And they could have, you know, on a like a little recon mission gone, listened to our conversation and maybe went back and said, Oh, they're just, you know, trying to take care of something. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but I don't know what the white silky thing in the treetops was. That was bizarre. Uh, it's not really explaining the thing up in the tree, but the possibility of it being almost like a time slip could also be possible that maybe there was a group of people that saw a car and they thought that the car had ghosts in it or something along those lines. So then they came to look over and it was just like a like a mirrored riff image of you guys seeing something paranormal and them also seeing something paranormal. I, that's always a possibility, too. Um, you know, there are. I mean, it's, it's ancient Native American land, too. So. You know, who knows how, you know, blessed or active that that land was. Um, I mean, it could have been them. I don't know. I mean, that's a good idea, though. You know, maybe it was some sort of time rift and they were checking it out. So if somebody was interested in trying to get into your line of work, uh, what kind of suggestions would you give those types of people? 
Well, I mean, if you're just if you're interested in straight up, you know, paranormal investigation, I would say, uh, you know, find a local team to to get with. Um, don't just go out there on your own. You know, team up with people who are seasoned veterans. Uh, a, a good thing to do is uh, like we just had uh, the Paris Icon event uh, down in Mansfield, Ohio. A lot of different uh, teams there that you could talk to people that are. Um, we don't. We, it's funny, we don't like to use the term experts in our field, but there are people who have been doing this for a while who'd be like, okay, you know what they're doing. So I would, I would consider them an expert. You know, talk to them, you know, f- you know, find out how you can get involved either with their team or maybe they have somebody uh, that they would recommend. Um, so, you know, things like that. So uh, starting to wrap it up a little bit here, because I know you said you don't have too, too long. Um, right. I always like to leave with some words of wisdom uh, as far as for the listeners. So what kind of words of wisdom would you give the listeners from your experiences in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, for one, I mean, one of the reasons why I do this is that, you know, there's so many of us that have had experiences, you know, just to, you know, help people realize and know that you're not alone in this. Other people have had these things happen to them. It's one of the reasons why I wrote uh, the Encounters with the Paranormal series is it has a, you know, a bevy of different types of experiences. And if you don't really relate to mine, I have other people's experiences in there you may be able to relate to and realize you are not alone. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the knowledge that you acquire while doing, while doing research, uh, pass it on, you know, don't just, don't just hold on to it. Um, you know, this humanity is, keeps going through these cycles of destroying itself because we don't pass on the knowledge from previous generations. And we tend to forget the lessons that were learned. So this knowledge that we're acquiring, you know, pass it on to the next generation, you know, just cross fingers that they, you know, pick up the mantle and, and, and run with it. So if people enjoyed this conversation, uh, what ones of your books would you recommend that they read first? Um, A Walk in the Shadows is probably the best place to start that has uh, a pretty good uh, cross-section of a lot of the the work that I have done. Um, Gives you some of my personal background and and experiences as well. Uh, Of course, stories from from other people and and a lot of the... uh, uh, a lot of the esoteric research that I've done with, with shadow phenomena, because we get into like history of, of a lot of these things, you know, different concepts as far as interdimensional beings and things like that. The second one that I would recommend would be Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. So for anybody that wants to come find you and look into you, uh, where would they come and find you at? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me at MikeRicksecker.com. That's my personal website. Also uh, check out the ConnectedUniversePortal.com. That's the online learning platform. That's also where I keep my blog as well. I really appreciate you making the time to come on today. Um, I would love to have you back on, hopefully, at some point once you release your next book. Yeah, we can certainly do that. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And to all the listeners, I appreciate you uh, coming and listening to the show. And I guess I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.